Ah, I'm gonna have to record this again. First one kind of botched up. All right, so it's Wednesday, December 29th, 2021. I'm Steven Sersky. Hope you guys are doing well. Thanks for joining me. This here is my uh, daily audio blog and uh, re-recording it. So this is a bit later on, already into December 30th, and um, was out with a few friends last night. A few uh, few folks. A lot of Chinese, a lot of Chinese women, actually, um, mostly because it was just the nature of the work, <laughs> which sounds funny. A lot of them were journalists, uh, like writers and uh, translators and things like that. And uh, it was kind of interesting because uh, all of them were bilingual, so Chinese and English primarily. And then some of them were also working on other languages, such as French. French came up a lot uh, in this conversation I don't know what the attraction was. Um, like, I guess, where'd they go? They went to uh, BLCU. That's where it was. Uh, so BLCU is sort of the language center, language university of not, uh, not just Beijing, but of China. If you go to BLCU or BFSU, which is the Beijing Foreign Studies University, I think that's what it's called. Those two universities sort of make up um, your... What would you call it? Your your top of the top sort of language, cultural universities in China, and so a lot of these uh, ladies were from there, and they were working in the field of translation, which was kind of neat because they they were they were able to converse in English, and of course Chinese, but that they were also needing to take on um, other languages. So they had, as a requirement for the degree, they were trying to tackle other uh, languages. It, some they were questioning their language abilities. I'm going, how can you question your language ability if you're able to write essays in English? To be fair, English is an easier language compared to Chinese because the uh, letters are restricted, the sounds are restricted, and they're used, they're repeatable a little bit more rather than in Chinese, where there are so many more characters and sound, I want to call them par particles, but they're not, they're phonemes, um, far more than there are in, in English. And once you sort of learn English, uh, French and Spanish, I mean, they are different, but you can grasp them a lot, a lot easier because they do borrow a lot from 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 each other and from all the a lot of other languages within the the European bloc, basically, English being one of them. And the the reason why this was so interesting was because I'm sitting there as a Chinese learner, like I'm learning Chinese, going, what would it take for me to be able to write an essay in Chinese, and, and not just not just the uh, like their, what would you call it? their logic, their understanding of things, but the overall, just the ability to write an essay, a properly formatted, properly structured essay in Chinese. This has me thinking, maybe my challenge for 2022 will be try to write an essay in, in Chinese, like, like a you know decent one, uh, not just a couple hundred words, maybe a couple thousand, like a feature article length. 2,000 words. I met one guy last night, and he was uh, working on his dissertation on the uh, the topic escapes me right now, but he, it was 10,000 characters or 10,000 words? I think it was 10,000 characters. And he had to, he, 
a part, a part of his program was that his program said, by this date, you have to have this amount of work done. By this date, you should have this amount done, blah, 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 blah. So you'll be finished by this date. And he was. He was on schedule. I think back to my master's dissertation, and I'm going, <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, they might have told me what to do, like, told me potential deadlines, and that did not happen. Uh, they whooshed by. Whoosh. Could I do it again, though? And I know that there are people who go to, um, I guess they go to BLCU. But there's another university here that has uh, output a lot of uh, non-Chinese-speaking people with Chinese degrees. Like they, they graduate with the ability to write essays in Chinese. What would it take? I mean, how long would it take? Is there, and I know for a fact, I know for a fact that the English essays that you'd read and the Chinese essays that you would read are vastly different. I can't remember if I mentioned this, but I could, it was before Christmas I was talking with a colleague and he was telling me about how his daughter, like young daughter, grade school daughter, had to write these paragraphs of like 300 words, 300 characters to describe a certain something or other. And they were having trouble understanding what the teacher wanted because every time they submitted it, the teacher would be like, well, no, you should have done this. It was almost like there was constant criticism. I understand it. Being a former university lecturer and having to grade academic essays, there's, it's true you can always improve something, but there's a point where you're just like, yep, that was good. You, know, you can compliment people. <laughs> you can give them a good word more than just more criticism. I wonder if it's so ingrained in the Chinese academic uh, ladder of progress that if you're not being criticized, you're not good enough. Something along those lines. At least that's what it seems like when you hear people talk about writing essays, specifically in the Chinese uh, fashion. So their, their logic, their their structure, their the use of their words. Um, they do use a lot more it's as we all know things like that like where whereas in an english essay you couldn't get away with saying as we all know that i mean the professor would just rip you apart they'd be like well no i didn't know that where's your proof that we all know that and if is and if we do all know that then why are you writing it <laughs> but it's basically what it comes down to it's a challenge it's an idea i'm not sure how much, I mean, what's the use of it? Like, what, am I going to be writing lengthy articles in Chinese? And who, who's, going to, who's going to read them? <laughs> oh, let's face it. Who's going to read them? It's an idea. I'll think about it. Because I'm looking at these, uh, you know, ending 2021. My goal was to be going through the HSK 6 books next year already. And it looks like if I started working from home, I would be able to put in three solid blocks of vocabulary study that'd be insane and even then divide that what was it it was 2500 divide by 60 minutes it was going to take some stupid amount of hours a lot lots of time 20 minutes a day one hour a day to learn 2500 words by the end of 2022 sure it's possible it's a commitment (laughs) It's a commitment, I'll tell you. 
I'm not even done the HSK 5 books yet. And I'm thinking of HSK 6. I'd like to get it done just because it'd be fun. It'd be fun to have, you know, it sort of done and over with so that I can feel a little bit more comfortable. And it's funny saying have it over with because, I mean, does language learning ever end? Blah, blah, blah. It does. <laughs> the, the books end. Um, but at that point, just going through the process of HSK 5, HSK 6, I'm hoping it would be, you know, we, I would feel a lot more comfortable in the language than I do now. Because right now I, I fumble a lot, especially when I'm speaking Chinese. It gets difficult. Reading is getting a lot easier. Lots, lots more easier. But it's speaking where I just forget my words. I don't know whether I'm saying, like, pronouncing them correctly. So it's an extra challenge. All right, I'll leave it there. Show notes up on my website, stevensersky.com. I didn't get any of my December drumming done today, but I'll leave that for tomorrow uh, because I have a full day to uh, work on it. And that way I can uh, end the year on an upshot, on an up note uh, in preparation for January 2022, which I am starting to formulate some ideas. Um, I think it's going to be a good soundtrack this year, a good 31 tracks delivered in January in addition to these 31 tracks for uh, December drumming. Hope you guys are well. Got some good plans for uh, New Year's. I have none. <laughs> I'm going to be an old man about it. Probably be in bed by 11. Maybe 1101 <laughs> if I'm feeling, you know, frisky. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, no plans. I, I don't celebrate New Year's. I think it's just another day. Mostly because, you know, if you want to get these done, you want to get these, you want to accomplish these goals, I mean, it's one thing to pause and take stock of what you you did, but to, you know, to throw away a night or throw away a whole day of recovery, I don't know. Um, but maybe, yeah, maybe you can. Maybe you can go out and have a good time and not have to recover the next day. Good on you. That's awesome. I applaud you. Some of us can't. <laughs> Some of us will need a recovery day. And I don't think I want to lose that. So, um so I'll stay home. <laughs> Easy enough. I'll watch it on TV. You know, why not? All right, folks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Again, show notes up on my website, stevensersky.com. Check out the De- December drumming page as well. Uh, you'll have a, a good laugh at some of the tracks that I'm producing there. And then uh, hope you can uh, join me throughout the month of January, wherein I'm going to be writing a song a day. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Bye-bye.
Uh, it's December 29th, 2021. I'm Steven Sersky. Thanks for finding this little track here today. This is uh, my offering for uh, the December drumming challenge that I'm doing all this month. So this entire month, I've been creating drum or percussion-inspired tracks and posting them online. So today, I took a step back. I took a, a little trip through memory lane with the idea of, you know, a lot of... I mean, I mentioned earlier in the month the uh, the traditional Ukrainian beat for the Arkan that uh, has found its way in my uh, drumming throughout uh, my life. Not just my, my drumming life, but in my musical life, my musical career, in that the Arkan rhythm... And then these influential uh, drum beats that I'm playing in this track, these have become part of my vocabulary on the drum set. These beats, and the, the, these beats, the way that they were done, I played them by uh, by hand on my table using my cell phone uh, to record them. And one of the reasons I did that is because I I did try to make this into a blog post years ago and it would have worked but it would have been very text based instead with this method of hand drumming on a tabletop basically this is something that you could do in an office or any setting around the world and really allow people to hear exactly the drum beat that you're you, you mean like the song that you mean I mean, for guitar or vocals, you'd have to sing it. Well, for drums, you just play with your 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 hands. You could also sing them, of course, but uh, drumming them is a uh, you know one way you can do it. So these tracks, uh, I've been playing for years. Um, they were heavily influential in my uh, drumming career uh, and still are in my musical career. Although I know, like a uh, like I still approach a lot of things uh, as a drummer, as a percussionist, rather than as a, a, a melodist. Uh, so not so much by piano or violin or anything melody-based. I'm much more approaching things uh, in terms of uh, the percussive, the tempo, uh, and rhythmic abilities of that of that song or of that of that piece. The one difficulty I know that you'll have in listening to these is that unless you know me, you won't understand the context from which I'm drawing these inspirations. If you've heard any of my prior musical offerings, it uh, doesn't matter which band it is really, you would hear elements of these throughout. That's how ubiquitous they are, how common they are in sort of my drumming vocabulary. I'm already thinking, actually, of one that I missed uh, that here I'll offer to you as a bonus track, as a thank you for listening to this. You might get it, you might not. The young people would say that's an old song. Those of you who are in, who who were listening to pop, popular, not pop, popular music back in the early 90s might recognize that drum beat. It was actually played in a soundtrack 
a very famous movie as well. All of these songs uh, would be known by people who have listened to popular rock bands over the last 30 years, but in particular in the late 80s to like throughout the 90s. That was my formative years of being a drummer and of uh, a lot of the um, musical inspiration that I have. Um, and in terms of publication date for a lot of these these drum beats, they'd be earlier than the 90s. Um, some of them are from the 80s, and I think one of them's even before that, into the 70s. And I'm curious to know who would be able to get it, uh, that one beat. That, uh, that It is one beat, I think so, yeah. Uh, tech, okay, there's actually two. Because... One of the bands that I'm playing along here, especially this one, this track that I just gave you, uh, is would be considered like a modern rock band, but they did a cover song of another rock band who is still famous, and their drummer just passed away, actually. So if that gives you indi- any indication of uh, who that might be, of that what that band might be. So two of the drum beats are sort of, I think, from the 60s or 70s. I can't remember when they were actually published, uh, but the others are from the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and then there's one from the late 90s, but the late 90s track is very common, especially if you listen to West African percussion music, which I'm quite sure not a lot of people do on the, on a regular basis. Um, I'm pretty sure you don't just sit there listening to drums all day, all day which is what I used to do when I was listening to music, I would listen to the drum tracks over and over again. And those things were, that's how I just sort of learned a lot of these things. Whereas a lot of drummers, uh, especially a lot of the famous names out there, they said they played along with different drumming tracks. I was always just inspired by them and I would take it and then use it on my own. So it was actually kind of disappointing sometimes when I would play with other musicians and they'd be like, Oh, do you know this song? I'd be like, yeah, of course. I don't know much more than this part of it <laughs> because I would take it and I would go with it, go with it, right? I mean, it wouldn't be um, something that I wouldn't learn the entire song beat for beat. I, I was never interested in that. I was always interested in the inspiration of the drumming, of the music, of the rhythm, and then taking that and applying it to my own situation. So it's only fair that I give you the answers for all of these drum tracks. Uh, if you haven't had a listen uh, to the, the track yet, I'll give you some time. You can go. I'll pause it right here. You guys can pause it right here. And then you can go have a listen to it. The track is only about two minutes long. And I'll come back and I'll tell you what it is. All right? All right. Well, I hope you had a chance to listen to it. Uh, and if you, if you missed the one that was in here, uh, I'll play it one more time for you. Hopefully I can get the, uh, the rhythm right again. So that one is, is You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses. So that's from the Terminator 2 soundtrack, which, to tell you the truth, I don't, that, when I hear that song, I don't think of Terminator 2. Um, I do have the single, the cassette single from this, this, this song uh, f- as a soundtrack single, but like Terminator 2, I do not associate with Guns N' Roses at all, and I kind of think that the only reason why they 
were on the soundtrack is because they were a big band at that time. Very, um, it was pre-Metallica days doing soundtracks. Uh, Metallica didn't do a soundtrack until Mission Impossible came out my, uh, many, many years later, about a decade later. Whereas GNR, they did quite a few. And GNR features twice in this list. So, the one that I just played, you could be, you could be mined by Guns N' Roses. That that one is by Guns N' Roses. Now, in this influential drum beats, this famous drum beats uh, track that I've done here, the first track is also was also covered by Guns N' Roses in the time that they were doing a lot of cover songs. This is from the Interview with the Vampire soundtrack. The song is called Sympathy for the Devil. Now, if you are British <laughs> uh, or a rock uh, aficionado of, all, uh, of any kind, you might also say that, wait a minute, that wasn't by Guns N' Roses. That was by the Rolling Stones. And you'd be right. Uh, so Charlie Watts, he was the drummer for um, uh, the Rolling Stones, and he passed away just recently. But uh, that drum beat, the dun-dun-dun, that one, I don't know if there's any other drum beat that has been so influential in my 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 uh, my drumming career, but the way that Charlie Watts plays it, and the way that Matt Sorum played it on the "Sympathy for the Devil" soundtrack, uh, "Sympathy for the Devil" uh, cover version that Guns N' Roses did for the movie "Interview with the Vampire," a little bit more rocked up, but it's a fantastic song. It is one of the few times, I think, that the cover version is actually better than the original. But GNR has never played the song live, whereas Rolling Stones will play Sympathy for the Devil live. The second track uh, in this influential beats is Come Together by the Beatles. This track uh, actually takes me back to the first issue of Modern Drummer Magazine I ever purchased that had Ringo Starr on the cover. And one of the reasons I learned this drum beat was because he had written out the notes for it in the magazine. So it was one of the first times I had ever seen drum notation. I didn't know you could do that. I, I, as much as I come from a family of musically inclined people, no one had ever really indicated to me that drumming notation, like drums could be written down on by like on notes, on tablature, as, the same way as a piano could be. So getting this edition, uh, was a nine, oh, I can't remember what year it was, 1996 or 1997, somewhere around there, with uh, maybe it was a September edition uh, of Modern Drummer Magazine, and that, Ringo Starr was on the cover holding a pair of drumsticks, uh, with his signature sunglasses on, and he had tabulated, not tabulated, he'd actually written out the notes by hand, uh, like on uh, tablature, on, on, on staff paper, and written out how to play Come Together. And so this is where I learned how to play Come Together. And I listened to the song, going, okay, because I, I know my, like my older brother, my oldest brother, he used to love the Beatles, I think he still does. Um, a lot of people I work with today, I mean, the Beatles, you mentioned the Beatles, they all grew up with them, basically, right? So, listening to this song uh, with the how to play that tom roll, the fact that he went bass drum to hi-hats, I mean, it's famous. And then the plodding drum beat after the 
fantastic, right? <laughs> the third beat on this track, um, I actually think I screwed up. <laughs> I, it took me a few tries to get this one because the way that is played and the way that you'd play it on a tabletop, uh, is it's, it's a little bit different um, because there's a timing thing that, uh, I mean, it's not very big of a timing thing, but you can't get too excited in it, which can happen because this song is very exciting. And it's none other than Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, which Dave Grohl played on in the 1991 or 1992 release, Nevermind. Again, very formulative. I mean, listening, that opening guitar riff, down, 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 and then the, op- the, the drum beat, how it breaks in afterwards. I remember playing that for my sister uh, when, uh, like years ago, when I first learned how to play it. I was playing it completely wrong. I mean, she <laughs> I don't know if she knew the song or whatever. She must have. She was in high school at that point. But uh, that song taught me a lot about how to play ghost notes. A lot of ghost notes interchanging the snare drum with the bass drum, which is the academic way of saying that you're alternating your 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 feet and your hands. Very difficult for a guy who's never played drums before, right? And once you learn how to do that, you tend to overplay it, which is what happens a lot. Uh, I hope that the... There's an open hi-hat that he does on the fourth count there, which I'd play two bars of. Uh, but if unless you know sort of the rhythm of that song, it might be difficult to uh, to get. The fourth track, uh, again, early 90s, and as phenomenal as the track is, the drummer was and still is heavily criticized for his playing. There are purists who hate this guy. Drumming uh, musicians, you name it, people hate him. It's none other than Enter Sandman by Lars Ulrich. Of all things, again, I think I kind of messed it up, but of all things, like this, I wasn't introduced to Metallica until oof, mid to late 90s. That's when I sort of, like when Load, or I remember when Load came out, but it wasn't until Reload was released that I actually started listening to them. I remember when the Black Album was released because it was a big deal, and I remember them being on tour when they came through Winnipeg. I didn't really listen to them much at that time, but this song, Enter Sandman, that Tom-heavy tribal intro, almost not really tribal, but that that very drum-heavy, percussive-heavy intro, I mean, was a, a massive change from what Metallica had been doing for years, for the decade prior to the the, uh, the Black Album being released. The reason why Lars was criticized a lot, is, and, and Metallica was criticized, because they drastically simplified their drumming. Whereas the 80s, it was marked by speed metal, a lot of thrash metal. They were going as fast as they possibly could. With the release of the Black Album, they slowed things down, and you can hear it in the drum beats. Whereas in... And Justice for All, it was still a lot of double kick going on. That, you know, lots of fast guitars. Black album, it was doom, da, doom, da, doom, da, 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 da. You know, sad but true right there. But a lot of single hits 
on the bass drum, a lot of single hits on the snare drum. That's it. It, it wasn't the same speed that they had before. That being the case, Inner Salmon was one of the first songs I remember hearing from Metallica. And that intro had me trying to figure it out. And when I looked at the notation for it, because I didn't get to this song until after I learned that notation was possible, the notation didn't make sense. So I had to play this one by feel. Now, the, with this opening beat, and you can hear me make, uh, make a mistake on it, is that the off time or the syncopated accents he does in that intro, along with the guitar, it throws me all the time. And whenever people say, like, yeah, let's play Inner Sam, I'm like, yeah, I'll get the first couple bars right. I won't get the next couple. <laughs> Whatever. And then, of course, the uh, the intro or sorry, the, the verse and the uh, chorus, they're also pretty notable in their sort of simplicity and their, their ease of playing. So the fifth one, again, also very famous and also by the same guy, Lars Ulrich. But this one is And Justice For All. By, uh, off of the uh, And Justice For All album that uh, Metallica released in 1987. This was a very famous album because uh, it featured uh, Jason Newstead on bass, and it's notorious for him saying that there is no bass on it. A lot of people say that there's no bass, and James and uh, Lars have argued about it for years, blah, 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 blah. point is, the drum beat for And Justice For All is probably one of the most notable drum beats in all of rock history, because of the dun, 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 that pattern and the way he plays it, like how it's played within that song, I think is only pushed aside by the one that he does in one. So the other long, famous song from that album, and Justice for All, uh, were the da 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 so that's one but with and justice for all he was playing this tom pattern this tom pattern i think also shows up later on in slipknot's playing specifically when joey jordison is playing is it uh oh i can't remember ah um wait and bleed uh so it's is it off their self type a self-titled album i remember hearing it from the live 9.0 double album that they released mid 2000s i think it was but that song the uh joey jordan plays a tom pattern that's very similar to what lars Ulrich was playing not the same similar but uh, so those two sort of are and the reason i didn't play wait and bleed version is because i don't think as many people would know the wait and bleed version as they would know lars Ulrich's version of the same sort of tom pattern uh tom um playing Tom Rhythm, Tom Drum Pattern, there we go. So that was And Justice for All by Lars Ulrich, uh, which uh, I think is complemented later on by Joey Jordanson playing Wait and Bleed with uh, with Slipknot. The very last offering, so this would be track number one, two, three, four, five, six, in, or uh, uh, song number six in the, uh, the album, or in this uh, track that I played here. This was derived from a guy who was hugely uh, influential and who, who was popular at, in the late 90s because it sort of went along with the very uh, anti-Christianity, anti-church movement that sort of hit North America 
in the late 90s. And that was none other than Marilyn Manson, and this song would have been The Beautiful People, or Beautiful People. Now, this pattern, as it was played by Gingerfish, who was the drummer for Manson at that time, is uh, actually very common in a lot of West African percussion, and you can hear it, percussion, and you can hear it played throughout. Gingerfish reused that uh, that uh, that beat several times, and there's actually one. There's beautiful people. Uh, there's two other songs that are part of that form sort of trilogy that Manson did with the same or a similar sounding beat. It pops up in other places as well. Um, and a lot of, like, uh, where else would you hear it? Well, I, I can think of West African percussion. That's it. It's a very, if you ever pick up, uh, like, playing the, the djembe, one of the easiest drum patterns that you can come up with is the... Because you're going to be able to play two or three different sounds with that one pattern, with that one rhythm. Very versatile. So I give credit to Gingerfish. I give credit to Manson for sort of opening this beat to me, but it was really sort of, I see it now that having heard that beat, I would later go on to appreciate more, not necessarily because of this track, but I was more aware of it when I started listening to more West African percussion and started taking that a little bit more seriously and moving away from the drum set and moving into more percussive elements. The, I mean, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal beat. If you ever hear it live, if you ever hear the song, it's a it's a thumping song that uh, really gets you you going as well. And of course, he had all sorts of controversy surrounding him. That's no doubt what he's notable for. But this song, probably one of the best things um, to come out in the late '90s, and a commentary on society. <laughs> Right, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was uh, Influential Beats, um, famous beats that I've uh, known. I was going to na- call it Famous Beats, but it's more influential because Famous Beats sort of Im- implies that a lot, like most people would actually understand what they are, but Influential Beats, because they are for me. Uh, these ones I've been living with, I've uh, I learned from them, and I've been able to apply them in my own uh, my own musical life. Hope you, enjoy, hope you guys enjoy that. Hope you uh, folks enjoyed that. Check out my website, stevensterski.com. You can download the, uh, the track there, listen to the commentary, and find a lot more. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Bye-bye.